0: Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. This is part three, the final segment in the Finding Annie Schmidt story. If you are just tuning in, please go back and start with episode 73 so that you can get all the pieces to this puzzle as they are carefully and purposefully slipped into place. The series includes interviews with Annie's mother, Michelle Schmidt. There were so, so
1: many good experiences that came out of this.
0: With Lydia McGranahan, the woman who found Annie's body.
2: My arms went out big and I said, Munra, 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 Munra.
0: And with Marty Nui, a pivotal player in the search party.
3: So many people that were there, it was by pure circumstance where we were led to be there.
0: Join us today for the wrap up of this story. It is filled with dreams and inspiration, impressions and the orchestration of a human army, search dogs, hope and love as today we find Annie. lives and language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with and making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. There are always times in our stories where we will wrestle with faith. Times where we will wonder if God is listening to us, if he's aware of us. Times where we won't be able to see ahead. Times where we won't know if our prayers are being answered. The story of Annie Schmidt being found is a beautiful orchestration of a larger picture and an illustration of God's hand at work in so many lives. Let's hear from Annie's mom. You know, it's
1: remarkable that Lydia was one of the people that was guided and there was Annie Castiel who was guided in very similar way to Lydia and John Harding who was very guided to be a part in a very similar way. And it was almost as if the Lord just kind of, He just orchestrated it. He was giving people dreams and visions and inspirations in order to invite them to be involved and to give up their expertise and to be a part of this amazing experience that happened as so many people came together to help us find her.
0: So here's the way Marty Newey remembers it.
3: The sheriff said, you know what, I have been in law enforcement for, you know, 30 years or something. He said, I have never, ever seen a search like this because once we call it off, um, the family may try and sustain it, but it may only take a couple hours pretty soon. There's just not the organization and people don't know what to do and it just it can't continue on. But in this particular case, there were so many People engaged and uncles and cousins and people flying up from Utah, just a whole host of people as well. When that call came out from John Harding because they had called it off, it just continued. It just would not stop because of uh, people being involved.
0: The Motorhome was a first in a number of serendipitous little events that sort of brought about your connection with Lydia, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. In hindsight, looking at the connection, so we searched all day on Tuesday, Tuesday night, that became Grand Central with John Schmidt and the math guy. But well, anyway, there was a, just a bunch of kind of the coordinators. There was someone that was involved with the dog and there, there's four or five people that are all in the know trying to make plans for the next day and the best opportunity to find Annie. And so I'm kind of like a little fly on the wall listening to kind of the plans and what's going on during this conversation john schmidt said you know what he said i just feel like we really need to pray for a dream we need to pray for inspiration we need to pray for intuition we we need to pray for this and then you know the the plans kind of continued on in terms of the logistics so the next morning i you know because of this conversation I'm listening to everyone kind of gather together in the rain, and everyone's about ready to kind of launch. It's almost like a football team ready to say hike, and off we're ready to go.
2: The 26th of October was the last day of the family search, and John Schmidt stood there. It was a cold 7.30 in the morning. We were in the parking lot, raining, dripping. We were all in our rain gear, and John Schmidt was staying there, and he prayed over the searchers and said, you know if we find her today, you know, could be the day and um, just be safe. He was always very concerned that everybody would be safe out there, nobody would get hurt. And um, we were hopeful, but it had been a long time. You know, been at this point three weeks, the pushing three weeks.
3: And then my heart started to pound because I remember this conversation that I heard John Schmidt say, Pray for it, let's pray for a dream, let's pray for something to give us that direction that we need. And so I awkwardly kind of raised my hand, not knowing that it was really my place. My son in law was nervous, so I was going to say something super awkward. You know, I would embarrass them. You know, they looked at me and I said, I overheard John say that we need to, to clue into this. And I said, You know, so many of you have had feelings perhaps as you've been hiking and searching over a number of days. And so if anyone has some feelings, we need to acknowledge that. And one of the Organizers um, legitimately um, raised a concern. He said, we got to be super careful. We just don't want people wandering all over the place and uh, getting lost and we need to be careful. And then John Schmidt jumped in and he said, you know what, I think I I really like this.
2: If anyone has any dreams or inspirations or visions, anything that would be helpful at this point, we we are desperate. And we want to find our daughter, John Schmidt said, we want to find our daughter, we are desperate. So if you have anything that we need to know, you know, please tell us. And that's when he said, actually, Marty, will you be the man? You have any of these things, talk to Marty Nui, and Marty Nui will relay that to us. And right away, I just felt my heart start beating super fast. My hands got all sweaty, and here it's cold out my hands were set ready. I started feeling that inner kind of shaking, tingling. And I just heard that's you, Lydia, that's you, Lydia. I'm like, Oh no, it's not me, not me, not me. And you see my whole life, my, my voice was not important. My voice didn't matter. My voice was locked up inside of me. So for me to say how I feel about something, to express something that was so sensitive and so real to me, it was scary. This was pushing up against a fear, a fear of being vulnerable and a fear of being more than anything rejected. I don't know. I I just felt like there was something in me that empowered me and I'm like, this is the time. This is the time. I have to do this. And I just beeline straight for Marty.
3: You know, suddenly I'm like Mr. Intuition standing there and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in this new role. and. And I'm nervous it's going to take too long because I want to be part of team one.
2: My arms went out big and I said, Munra, 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 Munra. And then I went off on why I thought it was Munra. And Marty was so encouraging. He grabbed me and goes, okay, we need to go talk to John Harding. He took me over to John Harding. And John Harding, again, was the guy that was kind of in charge of the teams. And John Harding's like, okay, he listened to me intently. And there's another woman there. She was listening to me intently. And I'm like, wow, they're listening to me like wow I was shocked but at the same time I'm like I've got to be listened to I felt that that strong and empowered that had to be listened to and then they took us over to the man that was um, working at the maps and he so graciously kindly said Lydia we have searched Munra Munra has been searched and searched and searched and there uh, with other areas we feel like at this point need more searching
3: So we went to John Harding and John said, you know, why don't we really want your technical skills? Why don't you still do team one? And then if there's time do go where you need to. We're trying to be supportive, obviously, and do what we're supposed to do. And team one has just left. So we jumped in Lydia's truck, Nate, Lydia and I, and we raced after uh, team one and we're trying to find them with the phone. And we did this in a very thick, thick brush as we're working our way up. In the area, and by the way, this is like three miles, probably or more, from where this Menor Point area is. So it's a completely opposite direction in terms of where it's at.
2: So we're like, well, let's just search ourselves. We were kind of searching ourselves, going through the area, that kind of general area, and um, I, I'm like, this is not it. This is not it. And all of a sudden, Nate. Marty's son-in-law says, this doesn't feel right. And I just said, because she's not here. (laughs) And Marty goes, I'm feeling the same thing. And he goes, you know what, we need to go to Munra. So we take off heading towards Munra. And as we approach this big fountain of Munra, you know, there's there's just vast acres, acres and acres of thick trees and ferns and brush. And where do you start? I know what I've already searched. I know what areas that to me felt like could be possibilities. And Marty's like, you lead us, lead us. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we did, we went in and we didn't have a whole lot of time at that point, but um, we repelled um, one little cliff edge, checked over that edge. We bushwhacked through another real thick section and then time ran out and we had to leave and get them back so they can catch their plane that evening. And so as we got back, we were one of the last groups into the parking lot. Um, And I was... It was a very heavy feeling because I knew this was the last day of the search. And I felt like I was so called to find Annie. And here it hasn't happened. At that, that point, I had a lot of doubts. Like, God, were you really speaking to me? You know, whoa, why, why did I feel so called? Why, 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 why? And everybody just dispersed. I sat in my truck at that point and, and I just I sat there and I just cried. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I know, I know she's here. I know she can be found. It's not impossible.
3: The thing that's interesting is that John Schmidt, he was absolutely incredible during this. He was so gracious and loving and just a strength for everyone. And the day before he had said a prayer as everyone was gathered to go start the search. And he said, if in the prayer he said, if our we know that you know where she's at and if it's meant to be that we can find her then please let that happen but if our prayers aren't answered the way that we want them to be please don't let it affect our faith in any way we're going to be strong we know that our prayers have been answered in the past and everything is according to thy will and and so please we will be strong and we won't let our faith in any way be diminished But it's not only Lydia that kind of followed up on her prompting. I mean, it was John Harding that was in southern Utah that suddenly felt like, I need to be there. There was another person named Annie Castile that she felt a prompting, and she had had experience with dogs. And so she had a list of 20 people that were dog handlers, and she went through all 20 names. It's the 20th name, and then suddenly... They were able to bring about eight dog teams from three different states within just a short time.
2: So as a three-day search approached, we got prepared to head out, and I felt like this is it. The couple days before that three-day search, my daughter, which is we go to a non-denominational Christian church, she came out of youth group one night and um, she looked at me in the truck and she goes mom I think God talked to me and I said you think God talked to you well what did he say and she goes he said that you're going to be the one that's going to find Annie and right away you know mom I'm thinking to myself oh but what if it wasn't God you know what if it wasn't God talking to her I don't want to build this up and have her be let down because I was feeling in some ways let down like God you've led me to something that I'm not finding and um, at the same time I didn't want to discourage her either and so my response to my daughter was well there's been hundreds of people looking for her somebody could find her possibly I could possibly be the one to find her we just don't know then a couple days later we started the search with the dog on the first day day one of the dog search they paired us up into groups and so they put paired me up with um, uh, uh, first with a woman that was going to be searching at wanna Point, which is a separate area than Munra point and I said uh-uh I don't wanna I don't want to go to wanna Point. I have not looked there once I haven't searched there once I want to go to Munra point and so they okay we'll pair you up with with Joe and Gunny so we put paired us up with Joe and Gunny and we, as we took off there was a couple hot spots that were um, areas that we thought maybe need to be searched a little more That was a very surreal moment for me when i was following the dog handler his dog caught scent and its nose went up and it started turning uphill and it took off and he's like yes follow the dog and so we took off and followed the dog and um but we brought the other dogs in that evening around that area from the top and from the east side and they all showed some signs of catching scent so we left that evening it was getting dark we had to leave all knowing that there's a huge possibility she is in this area. Then we ended up going out the next morning with a fresh dog and I I used my GPS and I just took them right back to that point up trail 400 again and her dog um, caught scent right off that trail. So we're going up and I'm just trying to keep up with her dog and grabbing onto ferns. I mean, literally it's such a steep slope. You're grabbing and gripping onto ferns and pulling yourself up just fast as you can go to keep up with the dog. And then her dog kind of turned uphill and looked uphill and I'm like, do you want me to follow your dog? Your dog looks like it's wanting to go up more. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. As I got up, I found a piece of clothing. Then as I progressed a few more steps, I saw um, a sock and then I saw a shoe
0: On November 11th, John Schmidt said in a social media post that dog teams found human remains that were later confirmed to be Annie's.
2: I guess what I can say is that in the Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of black bears, if that gives you any idea. So finding Annie, I knew at that point we had found her. I felt it in my spirit. And um, I knew it. I knew it just in the depth of my soul I knew it. this was her. There was there was no reason and as, and as I as we were, she was found that area, as I was able to look up, I saw a backpack and I saw some books and just some belongings that were out of a backpack. saw that. And this is an odd odd place off trail for anybody to be hiking. So I knew this was Annie. And the moment that I really knew, that I knew, that I knew was when I looked up and I saw the cliff above where her backpack was. And I saw that cliff and I'm like, that's it. That's the one that's in my dream. That's the cliff. I'm like, this is Annie. Oh my gosh. And I emotionally lost it, (laughs) completely lost it. That really put me through put me through a lot and I ended up um, I just ended up going into about 10 days between that time and her funeral which Marty so graciously called me and said you're coming to the funeral I'll pay your way you've got to be there
3: and immediately I knew that Lydia needed love and needed support and here she was just by herself there in Oregon and I knew kind of the experience of funerals and how it's a time for everyone to kind of void up and support and love each other and it just didn't seem right that Lydia would have to be by herself going through all this. Lydia came jumped in the car off we went to the church building and as we went into the hall all of a sudden I think it was Michelle Schmidt's mom Annie's grandma saw Lydia and you have to realized everyone knew who Lydia was because of this Facebook page, and 14,000 followers, and Lydia had posted some pictures, and everyone knew who Lydia was, and um, so the grandma, Kathy, she just like, Lydia, we love you, Lydia, thank you for coming, and then, oh, this is Lydia, look, and then suddenly an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a sister, a brother, a friend, and pretty soon, hug after hug after hug. Of people thanking Lydia. The Schmidt's were so gracious. You know, During the funeral, they wanted to make sure that Lydia was part of the, the family prayer.
2: Wow. <laughs> that was overwhelming because it really went back to to me finding Annie was losing Annie. They, and so it was, I was very torn. And I still felt like I had this kind of burden and this over me that I wasn't really sure why it was holding on to me. I really still felt like this burden and then when we went to the graveside following the funeral they had her casket out there before they were going to put it into the ground and they had some like flowers on a little stand and they said anybody that wants to put a flower on Annie's casket you know feel free to do that and I stood back in my black raincoat you know cowered in my own little shell still feeling heavy just emotional heaviness and just like It's over, but it's not over for me. I'm I'm still in this. Then it was getting towards the end. People had put their flowers on and it was kind of done. I'm like, I have to put something on her casket. I have to. And I I started feeling that pull and I started walking towards her casket. Instead of reaching for the flowers that were on the little stand that there for people to grab, I reached up at the tree right above her casket and broke off a branch with live. You know live a live branch and I set it onto her casket and just said thank you Annie I don't even know what I was thanking her for and I in that moment I could hear her voice and she's like thank you thank you and I turned and I saw her family sitting there and I realized what God how God had used me to answer his call he used me And this family now could move on. As hard as it's going to be for them, is and has and will be for them, they can move forward knowing what happened to their daughter. And right then, I felt this lifted off of me, this heaviness lift off of me. And it was just like mission complete. My legs got weak, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to start bawling. (laughs) And so I ran straight out of that area and just kind of towards this tree and I just fell down by the tree and started weeping uncontrollable weeping i had been holding in but I knew I was stuck I knew I was really stuck and it felt like it all lifted off of me and I was weeping and I was letting loose and letting it go at that point I felt hands on my shoulders multiple hands looked up young girls were gathered all around me And before I knew it, they were sitting down in this little dirt patch underneath this tree. And they're all wearing their formal wear still still from the funeral. It was all of Annie's friends that had gathered around, saw me go over there and just collapse. And gathered around, tears were in their eyes. We were all weeping. And then a few minutes later, um, Michelle Schmidt, Annie's mom, comes over. And she puts her hand on my shoulder and the um, girl next to me. And she said, If Annie was here, this is exactly where she would be sitting too, right here with you guys. And we all started laughing.
3: Every time I tell this story, I just, again, it just um, reminds me how we're all part of a human family and that God is in charge and, and it's beautiful and he's not that far away.
2: There's a quote by Rebecca Campbell and it says bless the thing that broke you down and cracked you open because the world needs you open and to me that was um, that's what it felt like in that moment it's hard in the time when you're going through in the time when you're going through those most difficult things through my childhood through my teen years it's so hard to think how can this ever be used you know you're gonna die because of this stuff and yet now I can look back and say thank you Thank you, God, that I went through all that because you have made me who I am today. And because of who I am today, that I'm able to go into situations like this and and be of help. I
1: think it was a privilege or an honor to be a part of this experience. It was amazing to see what the Lord was able to do with this. And I think Annie would feel the same way. I think she would feel honored to be able to have been a part of something that blessed so many lives for good. There were so, so many good experiences that came out of this. People's spirituality came alive again. People regained testimony. There was marriage that was formed through it. There was a coming together of so many people in love. My family was so strengthened. My personal my family and my siblings we're we're closer than we ever have been through coming together and uniting and searching for her it was just it's just amazing to see how the lord can take and something tragic and make something beautiful out of it
2: god did follow through with what he had asked of me on day one when i heard on the news go look for her go find her
3: at one point, Lydia had expressed to me that she felt like giving up, and she was so discouraged. And then she, when she came home, and she learned on the Facebook page that they had organized a fast and prayers, and that thousands of people were praying and fasting, she directly felt the impact of that. She felt like it's up to me, and I cannot give up, and I just need to keep going. And, uh, and so I think it's just powerful.
0: Well, you know, it's fascinating for me watching from the outside and hearing the story told because, and especially from hindsight, when you guys were in it, it was all this messy space and you hear promptings or feel impressions or there's intuition that's going on. And when you're in it, you never really know for sure. I mean, sometimes you do. I've, I've had some that were very, very clear. But other times, you're not sure if it's you or you know, what the impression is about. And so it's all just a little bit messy and you're trying to do the best that you can. And like you said, all these puzzle pieces, different people from different places, having different impressions that all came together to actually create this wonderfully woven masterpiece, but nobody could see that from the inside because you're all just you're all each your own thread in this tapestry and yet in the end it came together and it just testifies of what a master weaver God is.
2: Wow and I think that God does speak to us in multiple times in multiple ways but it's the matter if we're listening or not I think that's that's the key sometimes in our busyness of life in our busyness of our families and our work and everything else. We sometimes um, don't take the time to truly listen or because of our own fears. You know, some people might say it's your intuition. Some might say it's God. Some might say it's their whatever. And at at the same time, it's like, when you hear that nudging, you know, go, go with it.
0: Thank you for joining us for the three-part series in the story of Searching for Annie Schmidt. This series was so interesting to me because the stories from those involved were so filled with amazing personal experiences. A story of loss, of faith, of dreams, voices, intuition, overcoming fear and self-doubt, heavenly orchestration, love, teamwork, tragedy, growth, and answers. If you have comments you'd like to make on this series, you can go to the Love Your Story website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, and under each episode, there's a place for comments. If you have stories or know of people with extraordinary stories that you would like to share with me, reach out as well. You can get a hold of me at lorijlee at msn.com. L-O-R-I-J-L-E-E at msn.com. The Love Your Story movement has been created to help you reframe old stories that hold you back. To help you become aware of your control over the stories you are creating every day in your own mind and to give you tools and inspiration for creating the life story that you want right now. Go to the website to join the 21-Day Challenge to test out 21 tools that help you create a life of more connection and possibility. It's a lot of fun. The people who are involved are having a great time. There's also a free audiobook for you, a gift. It's called The Key to Your Super Self, How Your Stories Unlock Your Power. Go to the website. In a few minutes, a pop-up box will come up, and you can download that. And feel free to reach out to me personally if you'd like coaching on your personal story. Same email address that I mentioned earlier. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of the Love Your Story podcast.